are listening to Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher. Hey everybody, this is Christopher Seals, and sitting right next to me is... Wayne Randolph. And the reason Wayne is sitting right next to me is because the doctor is in the house. Um... (laughs) Nothing other than our friend, the doctor. Can we call you the doctor? If if you must. Okay. The, you must. the doctor, <laughs> Nate Turner. Is Nate okay? Nate is great. Okay. Um, he did his his doctoral stuff at Rosemead School of Psychology. Correct. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, good. Um, and he is practiced in both uh, clinical and the forensic fields of psychology. Um, he's got a lot of experience under his belt. Um, and as a result, we are, we really wanted to pick his brain on, on the issue of, of parenting and attachment and, and the relationship between parents and kids, because naturally Wayne and I have a vested interest, um, in that sort of conversation. Yeah. We not only are parents ourselves, we had, I actually no, we have parents. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't talk Always. about this. Yeah. I, I am. I am still someone's child. That's weird. Uh, but then, yeah, for sure, we we deal with parents um, on every single day. And man, I uh, I'm hoping Nate that you can give us some tips and our listeners some <laughs> tips because, man, to be honest, uh, sometimes it's a lot easier to um, talk with teenagers than talking with their parents, right? Yeah, and, sure. Um, and or even trying to convince. I don't know if that's the right word, but but trying to get parents on board and, and, and yeah. get them in tune with kind of what we're doing or where, yeah. where, where we're headed. Um, so yeah, I, I look forward to this a lot. So yeah, hopefully I won't talk too much. I'll just listen. Well, and so let, let's get the ball rolling. Um, Nate, would you mind telling us, um, you've told me a little bit about your, your dissertation um, and it seems to be very pertinent. So could you give us like the reader's digest version of, of what you, what you studied, what you discovered, maybe even like sprinkle in a little bit about yourself, sure. et cetera. Yeah, I can, I can try to do that. Um, so one of my favorite professors said, uh, research is me search. And, uh, so I, I love understanding relationships, how they work. And so the way things came together with my dissertation was that I wanted to look at therapy, how therapy happens as a relational process, but then also the building blocks of relationships itself, all the way back to the mother infant bond, um, so I decided to take a particular approach to therapy called process experiential therapy. It's one of the existential therapies. It's also kind of under the umbrella of emotion-focused therapy. And look at how the mother-infant research might expand upon and might contribute to our understanding of how that type of therapy works. So my dissertation is called Integrating Mother-Infant Research with Process, Process Experiential Therapy. So... The idea here being that we can understand the relational process better by looking at the building blocks. So I think that'll play into what we're talking about. And just me as a as a clinical psychologist and, and even somewhat in my practice in, in forensics, you look at what people are giving you in the moment 
and you have to go with that. And I, I see you guys do that as, as educators and have heard you guys talk about that on mm-hmm. the podcast where you have to pick up what is happening in that moment and learn how to join with it, learn how to work with it. And, and that's what I think we're going to be dealing with as we look at, well, what relational elements are in play between a parent and an educator, between a parent and a child, between a parent and a child and an educator. So there's, yeah. we have plenty to work yeah, with there. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think something that I'm, I feel like maybe a little bit more background would be helpful with is by the time we are interacting with their kids, um, they've had... 14 years of parenting history by the time they get to us and interacting with other teachers yeah. and stuff. Um, but it seems like the, the more I look into even my, my own processing of, of who I am um, and why I do the things that I do, um, I, I, it sounds so stereotypical, but it seems like so much of that goes on at such an early age. And you mentioned this sort of mother-child or parent-child yeah. bonding that occurs yeah. early. Could you elaborate on that? Because I feel like maybe i don't i don't even know if what what question i'm asking but but sort of like what what's going on in those in those really early stages as far as attachment yeah. um and relationship and confidence and personality development what's going on there can i even tack on something with that too yeah. um i think with what what chris is saying there it, there seems to be sometimes like kids will come in and and there's it's already done. I, I, yeah. I, like it's already, it's already they're, they're, settled. Their character, yeah. their, the way that they cope, the way that they're going to interact. It, it seems like that's already been, mm-hmm. I don't want to say something like set in stone, but, um, so with Chris's question there too, like, is there much changing? Uh, yeah. I mean, you kind of see where I'm going with that, right? Sure. Like is, is there much more molding that actually takes place or are we just sure. feeding the beast that's already there? Sure. And, and so we get into two of the crucial questions of of clinical psychology is how changeable are things and of course as a therapist you're believing and and hoping that change is possible and and really in research on clinical practice you're looking at what are the mechanisms of change right otherwise we pack our bags and go home yeah and otherwise if it doesn't work and we don't measure it you waste a lot of money and time and here you know these parents are bringing their kids to you hoping for some kind of you know difference right. um outcome. exactly and and an outcome and and in the same way that you see some things are already set in kids obviously parents already have some kind of vision for their kids they have some kind of uh, thing in mind that they're hoping happens. And if you don't live up to that thing as an educator, as a therapist, as a mentor, then wow, we have conflict already. So, so part of what you're getting into when, when a, a, a kid walks into your door and, and, and they're saying, Hey, like I have a question and you're already perceiving, okay, they have a question and maybe they're nervous to, to talk to me about it. Well, where does that nervousness come from, right? And so part of what attachment is, um, I like the terms used by, so the primary researcher that I reviewed in my dissertation, his name's Ed Tronic, done a lot of mother-infant research. Can you say his name again? Yeah, Ed Tronic. He's, that's uh, like, he's, I have so many jokes about like some hipster band. Or... I was going to say, it sounds like one of the conferences that we go to, like where it's oh, all like technology, technology. like <laughs> welcome to the Ed Tronic conference where we bring electronics. It sounds yeah. pretty like 
pretty hip. I mean, he's a pretty sorry. cool guy. I'm sorry to clown his name. He's so his last name is T R O N I C K. He's got awesome. tons of good stuff. Um, one of my favorite things that he gives is is called relational fittedness and thickness, <laughs> which it, it gives this uh, existential body to a really technical process that a relationship fits because you develop it right it fits because you have uh habits you have patterns and then also the thickness develops through just repetition it develops through um you build layers of that relationship so that's part of what is walking into your office is this fittedness and thickness that your uh your teenage you know pupils have developed with their parents now another term for that is transference right in the sense that they're seeing somebody standing in front of you which is usually some kind of parental image laden with typically a lot of negative things that may not be solely attributable to the parent in reality but they are nevertheless going to see you through that image, through that lens. So that's so that's part before, of walking in. Before they even ask questions. That you don't stand a chance. They already yeah. look at us. <laughs> right? Oh. So so we just had like the, the beginning of school, right? We're, we're going into week two next week, I think. Um, okay. Or week three. I'm already trying to forget. Um, <laughs> that sounds horrible. Um, no, so so in my mind, you know, and, and a lot of teachers, right? It's like, okay, new year, and we yeah. all have these ideas. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do this different. Um, in our minds, Nate, a lot of us think that we have like this blank slate sure. when students walk right. in, right? Okay, right. this is the first time they're seeing me. Yeah. Got to make sure my beard looks good, <laughs> right? I mean, and, and really, yeah. like, I, I yeah. got to make sure that I'm, I'm kind of, yeah. in essence, like wooing them. I'm trying to get them to, to buy into me because we're mm-hmm. going to be together for a year. Yeah. So you're telling me that that this blank slate that I think that they're coming in with is is, it, is it's a, probably is a more of a it's, well it's probably more of a coping mechanism for you as a teacher. Whoa, bro! Hey, 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 hey now! Whoa, whoa! Well, you guys have to say goodbye. Join us next week for yeah. Well, yeah. well you know, you have to say goodbye every year. I don't know how teachers do it. Right, you oh, have to say goodbye every year, and then how do you weird, say hello again every year? I, I mean, as, as I think, I think coping mechanism. We'll probably have a podcast. On we that. can we'll, leave we'll it need, at that. We'll need you. Yeah. Go, well, we'll probably we'll, need we'll you come back because we yeah. do, we do, we do have. That sucks. It, it does. Yeah, there's, it's, it's there's, like new family. It's like new family every year. Yeah. Or, or how do you grieve years, that? Right. right? Yeah. And how do you step into a similar space with a new? set of people, right? At least I have the privilege sometimes as, as a therapist and clinician to have a planned goodbye, which is one of the unique gifts of therapy that you actually have a planned goodbye. When do we have that in life? We just give finals and grades and then it's done. Yeah. You just judge them and they go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Here is the grade for our relationship and now you're out. So, okay. We digress a little bit. So you, so you say just when they're coming in, fittedness and thickness, there's, there's fittedness and thickness. They have already developed with their parents, with their aunts and uncles, whoever's raising them, whoever they've been formed by. And this, so they carry these things inside. This is how I do relationship with adults. This is how I present myself. This is how I protect myself. This is who I conceive of myself to be. So that's part of what comes into your office. And, and so the, the attachment aspect is, yes, an emotional bond, but what's the nature of that emotional bond, right? right. So emotional bonds form through small processes of mutual regulation, right? 
do you get me? Do you get what uh, what my intentions are? Do you get what my feelings are? Do you get what my thoughts are, right? There's different relational elements. So these are kind of the building blocks of attachment. So they bring these in into your office, into your classroom, and so do the parents, right? So then we have tons of relational elements in the room. And you as, as an educator or, or me as a clinician, we're trying to sort out, well, what can actually be addressed and what's the most effective one to try and address and where do I take it and, and how? So based on your, and most of this is unconscious, right? And your gut sense is like, wow, this, the issue here is the kid can't express anything without feeling judged. Right. Really, really common. Right. I was just going to say, we, we see that a lot. I almost this, and you, you kind of, you mentioned it, um, but this fear of, of just even talking to an adult. Yeah. Um, there's, I often see it as like them being aloof or I often feel like if I ask a question and it's not even like, it, it often seems like a kid is interpreting like my questioning, even my own my own children sometimes. Like just asking a question, there's this like this fear kind of thing, like they're being interrogated. Yeah. Where it's like, no, I'm really just I need to know. I'm just trying to gather some evidence or yeah. some some facts about what's going on. And they they just yeah, some, some of those kids just they freeze up. Yeah, and it's so wild. And you can watch that kid even yeah. in the class. Like, wait, you you're just talking with your peers, just fine, everything's good. But the minute you look at an adult. Yeah, um, and I I know some teachers that really bothers them, mm-hmm. and and I would say they, they they don't necessarily maybe take the time to to wonder about some of the stuff that you're you're talking about right yeah. now. So it's really it's really interesting because it I think we just more often than not, to be honest, Nate, we interpret it as mm-hmm. maybe disrespectful, maybe sure. maybe or yeah, like a lack of respect or um, defiance. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because yeah. all these kids are now in my mind. Yeah, yeah, and I, I part of me also wonders because I'm as you're speaking about these things that the kids bring into the room and they bring into the relationships that that veneer that that is over us that is some sort of overlay by their parents or their upbringing or whatever. Um, my default thought is there's a one to one correlation that if there's suspicion, that means there's suspicion with their parents. Um, but but what what is like what constructs that veneer? Could it could it be like a reaction against? Like maybe maybe they trust their parents so much that another adult is scary, or like yeah. what yeah. what is actually being? Because when when we originally were talking about this episode, the the terminology that gets thrown around a lot is helicopter parent, and sure. depending on the educator that you talk to, helicopter parent can mean totally different things, right? Because yeah. some people's definition just sounds like good, active, aware, conscious parenting. A parent who knows where their kid is. Yeah, yeah, and that's not necessarily a helicopter parent. Right, and and so I think that helicopter, like, uh, might be okay in some way. Like, naturally, my daughter's two and a half, and if I don't helicopter, her finger's in an electrical socket, or, like, she's trying to pull the dog along by his floppy ears or something. Yeah. So I need to helicopter yeah. in some cases. But then there's also sort of a pejorative sense in which it right. is used where it's like helicopter parent is like the overbearing. Um, I need to protect my kid. Everyone else is the enemy. My kid can do no wrong. Um, always present. Even when they're like 17 or 18 years old, they always need Especially to be Especially when they're 17 and 18. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, I think that's where it starts to kind of, I don't want to say freaks me out, but that's where I start to get a little more concerned watching that. Because part of our job as educators is not just getting them ready for a test and, and to pass a grade, but it's helping them, at least in my mind, especially as Bible teachers, helping them to become more human, right? And and to become human with your mom 
um, still holding and, and feeding you through the umbilical cord might might not be development. <laughs> yeah, and and if so, if there is this like whatever the definition of helicopter parent is, if there is this like sort of overbearing closeness that is suspicious of those who are outside of the parent-child relationship, um, like what does that bring into the room? What what veneer? What lens does that cast over the the teacher-student relationship? Okay. Maybe even how, where does that kind of come? Not in, like you can't talk about thousands of students and say, say, where does all of this come from? But like, what are some potential places that this can arise from and all that? Yeah. So, and you might have to bring me back to the original question because I have a couple things on, this is a little bit of like an ad- agenda of correcting some misconceptions about, about psychotherapy, about psychology, especially Honestly, especially in the Christian community, I, I remember going to a, a Christian-oriented graduate program, and there was some concern, you know, do they actually teach the Bible? What do they actually teach? And, you know, the the heritage of psychology being all the way back to most people attributed to Freud, who was, uh, you know, well-proclaimed atheist. And so there's a lot of baggage when, when Christians approach psychology in general. And I think one thing I really want to get out there is that uh, parent blaming and parent shaming is not an answer. It's not an excuse. And it's not really a productive direction that that any of us wants to go. Um, When we look at development, we're looking at a child's development. We're also looking at a parent's development as they parent. And there should be equal parts compassion for both sides. There really should be, because it's really hard. And yeah, that'll preach. When when you, I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's it. Like I, I, I've got two kids, and my son is in a new stage of life, and I'm finding myself like, yes, the relationship is there, the the those boundaries and all that stuff is still there, but like learning how to interact with him, I'm just learning as I go as well. So yeah, I I would like that makes sense. I would like equally. Yeah. Shown grace. Yeah, thanks. And and <laughs> and you like one thing that I think a lot of parents intuitively know is I'm gonna go back to, to Ed Tronic for a second, is this this hypothesis that stress builds character. But optimal stress. And so what is optimal stress? Optimal stress is like the next thing you can get. It's not so beyond your developmental capacity that you will fail and experience despair. But it's challenging enough that you will grow, that you will experience and develop a sense of um, the the word that he uses is affectance, effectiveness. This is kind of the idea that kind of a I can do it type of sentiment, yeah. right? So so when when stress builds character, you allow the next step. And and the other idea I really love, this is more from emotion focused therapy, is scaffolding. Mm. Right. So you scaffold the process. Right. It's it's kind of like tying a small stake to a tree. You want the wind to blow. You right. want the wind to blow, you want the roots to go deep. But you're gonna get rid of that stake when the tree doesn't need it. Right. Right. You're you're not going to continue to back to what we're talking about, you're not gonna continue to hover in a way that limits the child's exposure to optimal stress. Yeah. We were we were even talking about this in in terms of like pedagogy a couple of weeks ago, just the idea that that's what learning is, right? If you if you present a challenge that is way out of their reach, then no learning occurs. But if yeah. you continue to yeah. ask them what one plus one is, then no learning occurs yeah. either. It, it almost makes me think of like 
even weight training, right? So like that's exactly when he was talking about like just that next step of stress that you can handle. That makes me totally think of of working out. Yeah, not that I do that at all, but it makes me think about it. <laughs> Thought that counts. Yeah, well, and that's yeah, like you can tear a muscle, and that's not going to do anything other than like make your muscle shrink because you're going to have to wait till recovery. Yeah. Um, but if you tear the the those sinews just enough, um, then then some growth might yeah, they occur. build. Right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Cool. So the the question implied is how do we detect the next step of growth for for this parent for this parent child dyad for this you know this coupling of of two people wherever they're at are they at some sort of impasse do we need to grease the gears a bit do we need to inject some empathy into this situation and i guess what i like to start with when um when parents are uh, stuck especially parents of younger kids is like hey what's normal in parenting according to the research is a 70 percent mismatch <laughs> a miss in emotional state grasping and recognition 70 percent. so you only have to get it right like 30 percent of the time for optimal development and that, you know, because we usually try to get it right 100% of the time, right? I we want to uh, be perfect. Yeah, and I, I hope all the parents out there, like, literally just did, like, a sigh of relief right now. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I don't have to beat myself up as much, huh? No. Okay. Yeah, definitely That's good not. To hear. Yeah, thanks. It's actually, it's the beating yourself up that does the damage. Sure. It's, yeah, it's we your, perfectionist yeah. and then we project that and all that. And they internalize, yeah. you know, how we treat ourselves just as uh, much, right? So, so <laughs> it's the how, not the what. Yeah. So, so I guess coming back as best I can, coming around full circle to the original question is, yes, helicopter parents, okay, maybe the, um, the starting point is a point of empathy and validation of, Let's hear your concerns. Let's let's hear. So the fuel of a helicopter parent, I would say, is anxiety. And and so how do we step into that anxiety and dilute it a bit with some validation and some empathy? How do we bring ourselves alongside? Right. Because when you when you feel alone, your emotion regulation is not as it's just not good. Even if you imagine a person standing with you as you approach uh, an obstacle your emotion regulation improves just by imagining not even in real life just imagine it so you can do a lot for a parent by just coming alongside and saying you know i see that you're really concerned i i I appreciate that that you're sharing that um something that inevitably i think as bible teachers especially on a high school campus we we also act kind of as um, counselors yeah. <laughs> to, to kids, yeah. you know, first counselors, yeah, yeah for definitely. Sure. And, and something that I've noticed a lot lately, um, with some of the, just the teenage drama that's going on on the campus, um, the opportunity for people to just like acknowledge the other person's experience. Um, I mean, I feel like that would that would really speak really loud to our culture right now yeah. as well with all the division in our culture, but. Um, seems like we have a tendency. I, I was re- I was reading a book recently that was talking about just basically how to talk to your ch- your kids. And um, the author started with saying, like, how often have you done these things? And uh. so it'll be like, my son says, um, I'm cold. And I say as a parent, no, you're not. <laughs> like, you're not cold. <laughs> right? or, and, and, we, and, we, and we laugh. But, like, are, are a parent yeah. saying, like, yeah. 
Like you give your kids chicken. They're like, I don't like chicken. Yes, you do. And this idea of like, we don't even validate where they're at. We actually telling them like, no, your understanding of reality is false. Let me tell you what reality is. Yeah. Um, and so just, I just feel like that speaks volumes right now. Of just yeah. wh- whether or not I agree yeah. with you, but just yeah. to say, Hey, you know what? I hear you. I hear that that's your experience. Yes. And so Nate, I even just start there. Like that's a great one for us. I think as educators, um, because we do, um, if we really think about even like the timing that we're going to interact with parents, usually it's going to be after the school day, yeah. right? We've had a long day. Maybe we're doing emails. Yeah. Maybe finally you can talk to a parent and that's such a good one for us to remember. Yeah. Like, um, empathize, yeah. acknowledge their experience. Um, so yeah, thanks. That's a, that's a nugget for sure. Yeah. In addition to the, the empathy, the, the necessity of compassion that's there, right. like right. I'm specifically thinking of like our field in particular of, of Bible and theology and, and the type of parents that would send their kids to a Christian school where they can be taught theology. A lot of times they care about theology. Um, and this is a, a very yeah. important I guess, like identity anchoring subject. Yeah. And so then without fail, there's going to be a point where the parents' ideas about God, about scripture, about life is going to differ from my view. And if, and if I voice that or say that, or even subliminally communicate that and the kid picks up on that as the kid is, uh, as our students are developing their own sense of ego and self, um, now there's this new sense of conflict in this parental student relationship and yeah. who's to blame the Bible teacher, the Bible teacher. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that having compassion and, and instead of like taking the defensive of these people are trying to take my jobs or they're going to get me fired or this kid's causing problems, really just like noting that anxiety, like, Oh yeah, no one, like if they're, if this child is learning something new like that may as well be an affront on who they are as a person in some cases. So many of our beliefs are wrapped up, like our identity is wrapped up in our beliefs. Right. And so that's, it's, yeah, it's shaky. And then, and then that, that, that happens with that parent conversation as well, that like parents are having to maybe do an identity check. Yeah. uh, If they're hearing something different from us as well. And that's, yeah. So without compassion and empathy and I mean, there's this crazy idea out there that we should just treat people the way we want to be treated. Um, it's wild when you actually put that into practice. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. That's not fake news. Actually, it's real. So sure enough. Yeah, there it is. As your kids grow older, what is the hardest part of reducing the amount of control you have in their lives? That's part of it. We have to reduce control. <laughs> Like, seriously? Wow. Um, the hardest part would be to just let them, like, live their own lives and make mistakes because I don't want them to make mistakes. So I find myself trying to correct them before a mistake happens. But I know for them to grow, they kind of have to experience it for themselves. So I think that's the hardest part of kind of just not going in when I see them about to do something they shouldn't. I don't know. It's a lot to prayer. Yeah, because you want, I mean, your whole goal of parenting, right, is to grow them to be independent. But it's super scary at the same time. So you just have to trust that they're in God's hands. I tend to be a catastrophist, so I think the worst things will happen. But as I'm going, I can prayerfully 
relinquish control, especially as I see the gains that happen when they, when my daughter's on her own and discovering new things, even if it means that she's teetering on the edge of falling, um, just trusting that she knows the boundaries and she learns from her experiences when she does fall and that it's not going to be death that happens when she falls. did a, a podcast on burnout and I think another one on, on self-care and as Thanks for being a, a listener. Absolutely. Yeah, subscribe. Everybody. Right. Yeah. Plug. Um, if you don't have space within yourself, compassion for yourself, if you haven't created and invested in some sort of, of loving space and, and, curated that within yourself do you have that to invite someone into i don't think you do and i i think you know within the therapeutic relationship that's something that's so so sacred and so important to me is that is what i try to invite someone into now if they step into it or not that's that's their choice some people are ready to some people are not um, without sounding overly pessimistic, I almost always assume that they've waited a bit too long and it's going to take some extra work. And I think that's probably a safe assumption for the people that finally, you know, arrange a meeting with you and the principal or finally arrange a meeting with you and the child. Wow. We've like, wow. It's really gotten pushed really far. So the first step, a lot of times is a lot of validation and validation does a lot to de-escalate the emotional arousal and, and bring it back into an optimal stress level. Well, let's, let's wind this down to, to something manageable. Let's wind this down to, okay, maybe we can't do homework every night for an hour and a half, like, like is expected, but maybe we can share what the assignment actually is. So that it's at least shared, you know, back to this thing of like, as long as you have somebody with you or even imagine it, it helps, yeah. right? It helps concrete, very specific and very simple. Um, and then for you as the educators, like, let's, let's get something a little bit manageable and a little bit measurable that we can actually do and develop our own sense of effectiveness, right? We can actually do this as opposed to, well, you know, they're probably not going to pass or they're, you know, unless they do A, B and C, they're not going to pass. Maybe that reality has to be communicated, but maybe not in the first meeting. Right. right? So, so when somebody comes to you, just kind of think in the back of your mind, okay, there's going to be transference. They already got their, you know, their, their junk that they're bringing in and their amygdala is already firing, yeah, right? Walking into the yeah, it's fireworks, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's gone on a bit too long because we all wait too long to ask for help. We do. And, so knowing that can kind of help steady your boat a little bit cool. and, and, yeah. and back to the whole self-care, back to the whole burnout. If you haven't sought some support, if you haven't sought some kind of uh, space to be able to create, you know, loving compassion within yourself, wow, you're going to get rocked. Yeah. How, how dare we invite somebody else in if we're not yeah. kind of healthy there as well? Yeah, okay. yeah, cool. it's, it's, it's important to really, really create that. That's really good. I, I actually even even coming into the podcast in my mind, you know, as we talked a little bit beforehand, I, I had some ideas and um, even just some of the couple of things that you're saying, mm -hmm. I'm excited to even just put those into practice already. Like cool. just being a little more sympathetic up front. Um, okay. Cause that, I mean, on the other hand, very often as, as teachers, um, if we have that parent and, and 
and whether we like it or not, we, we talk about those parents, right? We all know about, oh, there, here comes that parent. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of us, not just talk about me, I think I, I, when I am going to interact with that parent or, or those type of parents, I, I start running this list in my mind of like things that I'm going to do to interact with them to protect yeah. myself, so to speak. Yeah. So I, basically I'm saying I, I already get defensive, yeah. you know, um, yeah. I'm already, I'm already prepared for the attack yeah. or the onslaught. Yeah. And um, so the, the question so to come in be, with my guard down, yeah. right? If I want that from them, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what you're saying. I got to try it for my, myself first. You have to let your guard <laughs> down enough cool. to be able to create an invitation, not to be taken advantage of. Right. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And, and so the question would be, you know, you as, as Wayne and you as Chris, how do you create an invitation and how do you shape the space? As the professional in the space, how do you shape it in a way that it does something good for the student, it does something good for the parent? When, so once in a while in working with an adolescent client, they would finally be willing to have their parent in the session. And that's a big step. It really is. It takes a lot of preparation and a lot of orchestration. And you have to catch some bullets this is something we talk about in emotionally focused couples therapy. Uh, anybody looking for resources? Sue Johnson is the emotionally focused couples therapy as well as um, Les Greenberg. Catching bullets kind of means like those little passive aggressive comments. You want to catch that because those are going to be activating remarks and, and parents and students are going to do this to each other left and right. Can you give us some examples that maybe you... let me try? Um, it's uh, sometimes it's nonverbal, um, and sometimes it's just blatant passive aggression. It's it's like, um, well, you know, the other night when homework was supposedly done, uh, right? Okay. Okay. Yep. And you told me it was done, right? You know, there's kind of a head nod. There's kind of a knowing glance. And, and what you'll see in your student is a downward gaze oh, really? or a folding of the arms, yeah, or a hunching of the, dog, of the shoulders. Like the dog, that kind yeah, of the tail starts like to go Like a guilty the dog little, yeah. look. Yeah. yeah. And, but what's, hap- what's happening inside, right? Shame, guilt, and anger is going to follow, right? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. as, you know, if, if I put it back into a therapeutic context, if I don't catch that in some sense, or at least say, you know, I, I hear that perhaps you're pretty disappointed yeah. that there wasn't more truthfulness, yeah. right? Cause the parent wants truthfulness, right? So you're, you're helping actually say the words that they're somewhat coding. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're kind of decoding the message. Okay. So I, I get that there's some frustration on your end that there yeah. wasn't more truthfulness. And also over here, Let's rewind that a bit. And so mm-hmm. I want to make a space for the student or for the, the client to, yeah. to speak and to refine that voice because they've just been shut down. And if I don't say something, I'm actually losing ground yeah. you know, with, with my client yeah. as far as the rapport. Right. So, so there's a bit of a delicate dance there. Yeah, because where... I guess in their mind they're saying like – like you just let that happen, and like also you, you right? set me up. Yeah. You, you told me it would. You be brought okay. her in here. Yeah, him in here. Yeah, yeah. And you see, set... look, it's just all the yeah, stuff we've been talking about for the last. And it's three all weeks. the same. And so when you invite a parent in, expect mm. the same thing to happen. Expect to just see the child's reality. Now, let me ask you a question there, and and um, yeah, you know, I, I would say maybe luckily for Chris and I, we we don't necessarily get in a lot of like parent teacher conferences. 
Um, but we've been in some for sure. Yeah. Um, as an educator. Yeah. What is our role? So yeah. like in a therapy session, right? I mean, right. that's, that's, I mean, they're, right. they're, hopefully they're there for that. Right. So that happens in front of us. What's something as educators, maybe that you can give us a tip or something that how we would, we would navigate that if, if we witness that in front of us. Cause I know if a student does that to a student sure. in my classroom, we have yeah. respect agreements. We have these like talks. I, I can, I can address that. We can talk about that later. Yeah. But when it's an adult doing that to their child, I'd, I'd love some input. <laughs> Yeah, and even in in addition to that, as you compile your answer, um, <laughs> you're you're going through your databases in your mind. But I, I I think the fact that we are not just educators, but Christian school private educators, yeah. Yeah. where um, as much as we want to say that the like yeah, our mission statement, yes, is to create mature Christians, and and that is what that's all about. Um, we are still providing a service, right? Mm-hmm. And so. Right. Um, if we wanted to boil it down into capitalistic terms, the, the parent teacher conference is the customer service department when they, when they call in with like my, my modem's not working, it's it's like your teaching's not working. And so thank you for adding that variable. Yeah. That's, that's huge with this. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So So maybe, I mean, do we touch it? Do we navigate it? Do we, do we, I mean, I don't think you have a choice, Yeah. right? You're, you're, you're put. (laughs) In that position within the system, you don't you don't have a choice, right? And especially if, as Bible teachers, there is some sort of like spiritual rapport that has been built, there is some some emotional yeah. connection that's been built, maybe beyond that which other subjects might experience. And I know this yeah. happens in other subjects as well, but there's a a tendency toward yeah. openness and yeah. sensitivity within the Bible classroom. Yeah. So it's not just like my modem doesn't work now, but my modem doesn't work, and you know forever and eternity you know <laughs> yeah. yeah my modem will burn in hell so you fix them <laughs> yeah um so, yeah, what, what does that look like for us to, to we see that go down in front of us what do we say to a parent it's okay to clarify your role okay um expectations are not necessarily responsibilities okay. and that's the first pitfall that's unconsciously created is that my expectation creates your responsibility mm-hmm. and it's not true and it is counterproductive and especially if that expectation is not verbalized yeah right? yeah so i like that like what you're saying it's almost like just kind of like before a good conversation defining our terms yes like defining the roles to find like why yes. are we here and what, what is my role yes yeah that's um Seems like we, it's we like can, this we is can avoid a whole yeah. Mess. It's like this is my number. Yeah. This is where I stand. Also, this is where my administration will will back me up. Okay. Cool. This is what I back up to, and and that that's a whole different dynamic. Do you feel the backing of your administration? I'm not going to ask you guys to, to speak to that at all, right? It's it's one of those things you want to know. Right. Where are the the firm branches? Yeah, that's, to stand that's important on. to know before you go into it. And I mean, yeah. I mean, even just to pause there, and um, for anybody, uh, you know, adults, teachers, mentors, you know, right. listening to this, that there's a great one too. Is is to before you go into meetings like this, is to get it on your your boss's radar. And let them yeah. know that you're yeah. going to be talking about these things, and yeah. and what 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 are my, um, I guess the, my parameters with which I right. can I can have discussion, and where where do I have leeway, and where do you need to step in? Like that's probably really important up front. Um, yeah, I don't I don't want to be out there all by myself. Yeah, and I think especially anyone in a spiritual mentoring role that 
spiritual mentor can sometimes we, we think that that's the same thing as the Messiah. Yeah. Um, and, and we are not the Messiah, right? We, we hopefully can be a tool to point people to that, which actually saves them or to, to the one who actually can redeem and restore them. But if, if we take on that role of Messiah, then we're probably picking up a lot more responsibilities than yeah. are actually ours. Yeah. yeah. That's huge. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> so staying, uh, staying within your realm of both competence and responsibility as you approach the, the topic and, and approach the dilemma yeah. is I think key um, beyond staying, you know, kind of on your numbers, stay, stay in your, your zone. Um, I guess the next thing would be clarity about what, what the goal is. Right. You as an educator have a different goal than me as a psychologist. But hopefully those goals are clarified at the outset of the relationship, whether it's in a syllabus, whether it's in a, you know, a, a treatment contract or an informed consent. Right. Informed consent is huge to, to both growth, learning, therapy, all of it. And, and so I think it's also OK to review your role and and review what the goal is of the relationship and and to put it firmly within those parameters because when you sense that things have fallen outside of those parameters you then have the the leeway to say that's valid and that's important that also falls outside the parameters and outside the expectations of this particular relationship yeah and and it and it does kind of protect you from going out on a limb. It protects you from um, from playing savior. Yeah. Let me let me ask you a question because I, I in trying to kind of summarize some of the stuff that we've been talking about. Um, coming into the podcast, um, in my mind, I have the helicopter parent as, as a typecasted person. Okay. That's who they are, right? It's more more of a almost a character um, issue. Um, based off of you know the last forty minutes of discussion, yeah. um, I'm hearing more that even that parent that this might even just be more of how they're coping uh, to be a parent. That this this anxiousness and this is all kind of like a, a, them adapting to their own kind of reality. Mm-hmm. And so what I've heard you a lot in terms of just advice that you're giving us really is just like de-escalation. Like it's just yeah. calm it down a little bit. And, and even in my mind, uh, like it, I actually kind of had that like, like almost visual of like, we're talking about helicopter parents, but just by the way that we talk to them yeah. and start defining terms and our yeah. parameters, it's, it's like literally if that helicopter gets to land and you get to now deal with the parent as opposed to their anxiety. Yeah. Um, yeah so, I like wow. I think, I think I'm like confessing. Landing. Yeah. Like yeah. literally, like, I think I'm confessing that maybe I've been, generalizing certain anxious parents it's i'm sorry it's overwhelming how much do you charge by the way (laughs) (laughs) it's overwhelming to deal with anxiety yeah but that's so good to hear i mean it's so good to hear because again i mean really i I can think of the amount of 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 meetings uh, or even just um you know we all do it like kind of gripe sessions yeah you know we just we're in a safe place and we can kind of vomit on each other and and this is a this is a a topic that comes up very easily amongst yeah uh, I, I would say educators, and so it's just good for me to, to hear again that this is this is more a um, it's not a characteristic of who they are necessarily. Yeah. It's, it's it's just it's just something that they do. I don't know. That's big for me. That's just that's big for me to hear. So I, I, I needed that. 
Yeah, and even acknowledging the fact that parents are in process, right? Like, I think the idea of a helicopter parent, that actually has some flexibility, but some of the other terms that are thrown around the faculty lounge or in, like, a quiet conversation in your prep period is, like, um, yeah, so-and-so is really a mama bear, right? Like, sure. it's it's who they are yeah. is to be aggressive, aggressively protective and maybe even violent towards anyone who would threaten their little bear cub or... <clears throat> and potentially even wear it as a badge. Like, they'll tell you, right? I, I've had a parent outright tell me, like, oh, I'm the mama bear. Like, they'll let you know that that's their identity, right? Right. And, and then even, like... My claws uh, will come out. <laughs> yeah, the claws will come out. And another phrase I, f- I hear thrown around a lot is, well... I feel like I heard this in Little League Baseball, or I played pony ball, but like um, in sports growing up, well, they just need to cut the umbilical cord, right? And as, like, I remember Pop Warner football, um, and like, we're 10 year olds and we're getting concussions, but then like you have grown ups <laughs> saying, um, no, they just need to just cut man the um, man up, cut the umbilical cord. Um, but either way, it's a very binary thing. Either you're, you're connected and getting nourished or like you're grown up and they cut it off. Um, but there's no like process. There's no uh, growth. There's no, there's no scale. It's just, you're a, you're a violent mama bear or you need to cut the umbilical cord like this. There's no, there's no room to see the parent as yeah. another person. The student's yeah. a person, the teacher's a person, but the parent in those sort of generalizations don't get to be seen as people yeah. in that yeah. whole process. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So I get, can we, can we play on that just for a little bit on that whole cutting of the umbilical cord thing? And I know that we can't make generalizations, right? Um, about when is the right time to, or, or if an umbilical cord should be cut at all. Right. But, but as far as like, I guess reasonable expectations for those of us who are educators and maybe like helpful guidelines for, for weighing out what, what it means to give more independence, to give more autonomy, to, to release a little bit of control. Like what are some good indicators for that whole process? So that, I mean, if, if we're in these conversations with parents, then naturally we want to be part of helping people guide towards health or even myself as a parent, I want to know what it looks like to like, okay, when, when do I release a little bit in, in my relationship with my daughter in these certain areas? Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, let's, let's start, um, maybe painfully, uh, literal. What does an umbilical cord do? What does it provide? I mean, nourishment. I mean, it's, it's the lifeline. And so a little bit back to kind of our, our previous paradigm of this stress builds character. If you're constantly plugged into this lifeline, when do you become your own lifeline? When do you start to draw from the environment the nutrients and the relational input that you need? And when when does stress build character, right? If, you're, if your phone's always charging and plugged in, it doesn't use the battery. You know, it, it's you don't build the internal resources because you have a constant supply. You don't have to build the resources. There's no necessity. Necessity is a great motivator. If you never experienced that necessity, where's your motivation? Yeah. I even think of, um, it was a couple last year's seniors who just graduated out. There was like a a good sized number of them that didn't have their driver's licenses as seniors. And I remember a lot of them saying, well, I don't need to because I'm at school all the time. And my, like either their parents worked at the school or like they, their parents had to pick up all the other siblings at the same time anyway. So there's, like, it's not that they were, they had no drive to be independent or anything like that. It's just, no, there was like, 
why get a driver's license if like all of those needs, all of yeah. those, if all my transportation needs are met, yeah. needs are met, then I don't need to get a driver's license. They're adjusting to their um, adaptive context, right? The context within which you adapt to, you adapt to what you have to face. Right. They're not faced with the challenge of finding their own transportation, so it's not on their radar. As a as an organism, they shift their focus to the next adaptive so, challenge. And so when, when us adults in their life start unintentionally shaming them and telling them, like, it's time to grow up, man, back in my day, and we start doing those whole things, sure. like, they're looking at us like, yeah, that's your context, right? I mean, they're yeah. really like, they're like, okay, yeah. cool. I don't like, it's live not, in that context. Basically, my brave heart motivation speech is not working as well as, <laughs> as I'd like Bring it, it to. Even though me? I would love to hear it, it probably still right. isn't working. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, yeah, where, where else would we go with that? So, so let's, let's also look beyond the, uh, the umbilical cord. Let's, let's look at what's actually happening with uh, a mama bear or I'll, I'll throw in a papa bear, right? Um, let's, let's, you know, be, be fair that this, this comes from, from, you know, any direction. So um, I think a lot of what you see is protest so what i mean by protest let's wind it all the way back to to mother and infant uh, or father and infant let's wind it back to when you get your your child in that gear where they they just aren't having it right uh you're not figuring out what they need or you're not paying close enough attention you're gonna get a protest Mm. And that persists into adulthood, right? Or, or if you fail them long enough, they may avoid and withdraw. And that's, you know, giving up, that's despair. So I think a lot of what is actually going on with um, helicopter parents is actually going on with mama bear and papa bears, protest. Mm. Protest in some ways... I can approach this from, from you know, psychotherapy. It's easier to work with because you have energy there. You have engagement there. You got to find an energy of your own to engage it and meet it, right? So you might have to come a little bit more um, alert and a little more energetic to be able to raise to that level and match it. Now, protest is there to get a reaction. Mm. Typically protest is in response. And, you know, let's, let's talk about this, you know, the elephant in the room is marriage, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> right. So when one partner withdraws, the other I one's going to pursue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So pursuing protesting, right. right. Uh, in the most negative sense, we call it nagging, yep. you know, and, and I think, you know, probably educators experience this at times, you know, the nagging right. emails or the, you know, Right. Is, is, well, what have you done about this? And what have you done about that? Okay. So what is protest designed to do? It's designed to change a situation. What is avoidance designed to do? It's a little more complicated. It's designed to dial down the interaction. Avoidance communicates the message. This is too much. This is overwhelming. Right. We have basic emotions, you know, mad, sad, glad, 
discussed these different ones, kind of basics, but also we have relational emotions, feeling connected, feeling close to, feeling away from, feeling you know overwhelmed. So when you have a, a mama bear or papa bear come into the equation, you're experiencing protest, you're experiencing someone who wants a situation to change. Yeah. So it's coming from this internal sense of this is not right. So that, if possible, needs to be named. And you don't necessarily have to name it. Right. If you can, great. Right. It's, it's actually on them as the adult to name it. Right. So if, if I were in your shoes, I'd say... You really want something to change here. Let's right. talk about what that is. Yeah. Help and, me understand what that is. Yeah, and and earlier you mentioned sort of matching that energy. Yeah. Um, like maybe I'm seeing this wrongly, but well, I'm seeing. I know I'm seeing this wrongly. But some of the first image that came to my mind was like, so when when they come angry, you get angry back. Okay. Um, but I'm sure. pretty sure okay. that that's not the kind of energy you're talking right. about. Um, especially in the whole idea of naming it and like there's another there's probably another type of energy we bring to the table but can you like help mm-hmm. flesh that out for me because I'm having trouble yeah. knowing what how to Yeah, if if it. you're if they're way up and away with with anger with very demonstrative, you know, gestures and all of these different things and you kind of give them this demure very passive Wow, you know, you're really upset. You're gonna get more of it. You know, right. Yeah, I'm upset. You're not. Do- you're gonna get railroaded. Yeah, you're gonna get railroaded. So, so raise just below their level right. to the extent of um, how to how to say this in a, in a way that'll. Uh, Go for it, dude. Go for it. I, it's like. This is this is way too much. Yeah. You've had it. You're at your wits' end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I am. You know, you the, and they're gonna get some more. You're gonna get some right. more material, and so repeat yourself. This is way too much. It's gone on too long. You're sick of it. You can't stand it. Let's talk about what it is that you can't stand. So, in matching them with the energy, or, yeah. or with that same yeah. kind of power. It's not matching them in terms of force. It's matching them and coming alongside. Yes, right? exactly. So I'm, I'm speaking your tone to let you know yeah. that I hear you. You're not matching the content. You're matching right. the process. And so you're this actually is about marriage you're matching, but a half a step <laughs> lower, right? You're, you're still de-escalating, right? right. Because, but if you're too far off and you're de-escalating, that's going to come across, Nate, uh, you know, Nate, pejorative. <laughs> it's going to be condescending. It's not going to work at all. When my when my wife and I, my queen, man, when we first got married, and we would beef in the beginning. I, I'm really mellow, and, I, and and in my mind, I think of it as in terms of energy. Like, yeah. I don't know if I necessarily want to use this much energy just to yeah. tell you that I'm mad. And so, yeah. I, you know, I did the stupid logic thing in my mind. Yeah, we legitimately had fights where my wife wanted me to be mad. Like, yeah. why won't you just yell at yeah. me? Why won't? And, yeah. But I I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Now. Like that. Step okay. into this space with yeah. me. Right? Yeah. They're saying like, this is where I'm at. I want yeah. you to be here. Yeah. Okay. Because that shows me that it Man. matters to you. I'm really arrogant. I thought I was only going to learn like one thing. I think I've learned like six tonight <laughs> so far. So it, you, wow. We all want to know that we are known by the other, exist in the other's mind, matter to the other, and that that we feel felt. Yeah, validated. Yeah. And what I love about that, Nate, is that 
I mean, that's there's there's congruity there, right? Like you mentioned that earlier, yeah. like the way that we talk to somebody, and so yeah. you, so you basically you're just telling me like continue to do that, yeah. But you're you're in essence almost maybe maybe kind of mirroring the other person. I, mm-hmm. I know that that's that's the type of flattery, right? Like mm-hmm. that we we. Man, I, I think some of us even do that. We change the way that we talk with certain people, the way that they talk, yeah. and so that's kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah. Is, is emulate yeah. to a degree where they're at, and that's, don't that's, stress over it. Because no, no, it's no, 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 naturally, no, no. a lot of the time, it really no, but that, is. but that makes sense because I, they're, they're, I have intentionally remained calm, and it does, mm-hmm. it does oftentimes make things, yeah, maybe a little bit more stressful for some. Yeah, you can really provoke a person. By, by giving them, them nothing, <laughs> right. you know, it, it's wow, so, so good. a great illustration of this. And it's, it's, um, I've watched people's reactions to this video. I'm going to digress back to, back to Dr. Tronic on this one is the, yeah, Tronic, bro, the that's, that's the name of the, of it's, the cast. It, it's just <laughs> such rich material. Right on, you gotta, right so the face to face still face paradigm it's a video of mother infant interaction and they're playing normally uh you know just the usual cuteness and then the mother briefly looks away she comes back and she's blank no interaction no facial expression and and you watch this, watch this on, you know, it's on YouTube, yeah. and you see the infant's protest, and then you see the avoidance. Hmm. And it's heartbreaking. Wow. In the space of maybe 30 seconds, the infant wow. goes through all of these attempts to re-engage. Let's get this back on track. Let's get this going again. Yeah. Right? I'm like, hey, like, look at that thing over there. Let's, let's do the play thing again. Where wow. are you? Is essentially was where are you, and and when I can't find you, wow, like I'm done. Wow. I can't take this, and yeah, and my, it's it's powerful. Um, my I've mentioned this in some other podcasts, but when my my wife had a brain tumor and it was traumatic, yeah, know, I mean, for everybody involved. But yeah, I remember was, that. Yeah, yeah, you were yeah. Around, um, yeah. My son was like four or five ish at the mm. time, and and we quickly got him into therapy once yeah. mom was home and yeah. we actually did reconnection therapy. Yeah. That was the whole, um, I don't know, program or what do you call sure, it? The treatment. The, treatment. Yeah. 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 Um, hmm. and it was so like, just in what you just shared right now, like my, my dad heart, like you just, sure. you hit it, bro. It was like, yeah. Oh yeah. That's mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That attachment is, is yeah. everything. And that was such an interesting therapy for us too. Where literally we, my wife and I just learned, um, some different little cues and different little things to, to, to let Noah know yeah. that we were in tune with him, that we yeah. were, we were with him as he yeah. was playing. And the therapist, I just remember she would say like, um, you don't have to ask him about how he feels about mommy and about hospital and, and this and that. Just, you just keep reconnecting. Yeah. And she said, eventually he'll just bring it up and no joke, like almost like to the year, bro. Yeah. I mean, you, and you know, these kind of stories, yeah. right? But like almost to the year, we're just chilling. All of a sudden Noah felt comfortable and he yeah. felt connected enough yeah. where he can just, no big deal. Like, mm-hmm. hey, remember when mom had tubes in her yep. nose and he yep. was able to access that because it was a safe, we created a safe environment yeah. and he was yeah. attached. Yeah. As a Bible teacher, Nate, that's a huge thing because one of the mm-hmm. concepts that I teach right at the beginning, and I, I know that Chris does as well, but it's this concept of shalom. Yeah. And you kind of alluded to it a few mm-hmm. minutes ago that this is what we were made for. Like yeah. in, in that, that, that story, this opening framing story of all of, of, all of the narrative of, of scripture, yeah. you have this like symbolic interaction between humanity that where we're, mm-hmm. we're nude. We have mm-hmm. nothing to hide. We're fully known. We're made yeah. for intimacy with one another. And, yeah. Um, 
man, I mean, there's kind of my, my summary, yeah. uh, even takeaway from this podcast is, is just like, yeah. like when that person comes, like that person is, is another human being who, who is desiring to be known yeah. and desiring that their child yeah. also is in an environment where they can be known. Yeah. Right? Uh, and I, I think we hear that sometimes from, from even our parents, like if you only knew them the way that I do. Yeah. Right. And so, man, it, it's, seems like a lot of the things that we talk about, like what, what, regardless of the angle, whether it's psychology yeah. or, you know, bringing uh, Trebizo in with science and a lot of stuff right. comes back to just, just gently and lovingly and kindly how we, we interact with one another. Right. That's, a a that's, lot of things can be, um, improved. Yeah. 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 Even our country, maybe. maybe. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe jury's still out. Um, we, we've talked a lot about the, um, the teacher, parent, student triad, like what's going on there. Yeah. Um, but I, I think maybe I know that a lot of, a lot of our teacher listeners are also parents and our ministry, okay. um, people are also parents and there's even just some parents, um, that, that listen. And so maybe yeah. a final thought, um, could you just speak like maybe directly at the dyad, the, the parent child, um, relationship, yeah. um, and, and maybe what it means, um, I, I guess, if there's a way that you could give, like, I don't know if guidelines is right or like an exhortation, um, about the whole, um, yeah. uh, the right optimal amount of stress or that, yeah. like when dealing with teenagers, yeah. are there some guidelines or some, a, a nugget of wisdom that you could close us out with for specifically for the parents yeah. listening? Yeah, that's a, that's a tall, um, and important, I think, order and, and, and task. I guess the, the thing that's been rattling around in my heart is don't feel like you have to be a therapist, right? Don't put that on yourself. That kind of pressure doesn't do good things to the actual interactions. It, it, it really can make it calculated and forced and uh, shame ridden and yeah, sterile. sterile. It definitely can get sterile because therapy at its best is not sterile and neither should parenting nor educating be. It should be, uh, soulful. It should be authentic and, and, and rich. Um, so I guess what I guess I try to humbly say is back to the 70%, you know, you don't have to get it right all the time. And, so okay, so this is one of my favorite um, topics and and parts of um, of of the dissertation of of Edtronic's work is this idea of repair, and I think we see this in many many narratives, including the Christian narrative, um, repair of rupture. Um, so to tie in the the Christian narrative for for people that are oriented towards Christianity is okay. So the disciples had this expectation of who Christ was and they thought they knew what would happen. And then, you know, on, on good Friday, it was all lost and somehow it came back. And so this idea of repair, this idea of there was a rupture, everything I had expected and built was, was lost, but something survived that and and sometimes as a as a clinician as a therapist I'll have a rupture with a client you know I'll I'll double book or I'll miss what they're saying or I'll forget uh the boyfriend or girlfriend's name right, and and it's right. like oh wow and and so um lean into your failures and create repair 
Cool. Uh, just just like a you know like a a bone when it reheals when it reossifies it's actually stronger, right? And and back to our analogy of of working out of of muscle tears, you know the scar tissue builds up and that becomes stronger because you've asked something of the muscle that it could not do. Ask something of the relationship that it perhaps could not do before. And as the, as the educator, as the adult, uh, as, as a pastor, step back into that space where perhaps you quote unquote failed and, and create repair, seed repair, own what has happened and move into a, a place of humble acceptance and, back into matching right so so go through that process of yeah we're matching and then wow like you lost me just like in the face-to-face thing and we're actually at the end of the face-to-face still face the mom comes back right and 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 but here's what happens in the first two seconds of the mom re-engaging the baby is not having it. Little suspect, huh? Yeah, you like, can is see. Happen again? Yeah, right? you okay. can see that suspiciousness. Like, are you really back? Do you really mean it? Is this real? Are Are you actually here with me? Do you actually get it? Can I trust this? And depending on trauma histories, depending on biological predispositions of the nervous system, so many factors. That's going to be harder a lot of times, right? But what you can do as a parent is be imperfect. Uh, one of my, so sometimes I, I get invited back to um, an intern group um, and present kind of a, a reader's digest of the dissertation. I call it clinical imperfection, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's like prescriptive. Let's be imperfect. Let's embrace our imperfection. Let's not do it on purpose. Let's not double book on purpose, but let's own it when we do. As, as parents, as educators, as clinicians, and let's create repair. Let's actually strengthen the bond through the stress that builds character and create new capacities. I, I love that too, Nate, because that's um, like, kind of like what I was saying earlier about like, I, I see a lot of interactions as, as you know, exerting energy. I love this idea. I, I, I'm kind of a restoration junkie. Uh, so yeah. when you talk about like repair yeah. and, and restore those yeah. things, that those are big things. Um, and in my mind, I'm thinking, so I can, I can continue to use my energy to, to fight and to fight this, you know, like face to face and spend all my energy being angry, or I can spend some energy and say, man, I, I, I blew it. I, I really yeah. screwed that up. And then now I can use my energy actually towards the restorative process. Yeah. And I, I that just. That just seems wise to me. <laughs> that just seems like maybe that's what we're kind of supposed to do, right? As opposed to continuing using the energy for most of us in these dumb kind of cycles. Yeah, so just you constantly can defend trying to yourself. Like, yeah, right? totally. You could do totally. that. Totally. But it's but not going to, to move what forward. Yeah. To what end? Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, I, I mean, we're going to wrap up here, but I think if what we're acknowledging is the fact that for growth – um, whether it's parent-child relationships or if it's educator-parent relationships or the, the three all growing in relationships toward maturity um, and toward whole and wholeness, if, if it's implicit in growth that there will need to be stress, yes. that there will need to be failure, yeah. that there will need to be things that need repairing, right. then how much more is the call for compassion yeah. and mercy yeah. and understanding and yeah. grace for the yeah. other. And so, and, and for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so for you educators and parents and even, even some of the students who are listening, um, not only be 
I guess, convicted of the need to have compassion on other, but also feel the sense of conviction to have compassion on yourself as as you fail, as you need to push beyond, um, because it's all in the name of growth. Yeah. And so may you continue to grow. Um, and thank you very much, Dr. Nate, for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, guys. Love you too.